Good morning, Forest Heights Baptist Church. I'd like to welcome everyone to our morning worship service. Before we begin our service, I need to make an introduction. Really, he doesn't need an introduction. Hopefully, most of y'all already know Dr. Lex Bowen. He serves as our director of missions for the Sarepta Association, which our church is a part of. He's held that position for 14 years. I didn't know it'd been that long. Time flies. He, serves a, he, he has served as a pastor for 20 years, as well as a forward missionary in Singapore. And he is a member of the Winterville First Baptist Church. Now, before we begin our song service this morning, my daughter Haley needs to come up and, as she says, rally the troops. I have missed our talks, so I'm back. Um, before we start this this year's season off, I just want to give you a, a wrap-up of last year. I know that 2020 was difficult for everyone, but for Annie Armstrong, which literally started and then we closed our doors and you didn't get to hear my, my like, rallying for at all, really, which is so tragic. Um, for Annie and for Lottie, we, with the church's help, um, have collected just over 6,000 for each of those, uh, which is huge, huge amounts, uh, especially for how many. Um, and then for Operation Christmas Child, we collected, packed, sent um, almost 170 boxes, uh, which is huge, huge, guys. Um, so go ahead, clap for that, too. So today, we're kicking off Operation Christmas Child, um, which it seemed last, it seemed to sort of go really well, the collecting certain items month by month, even with the pandemic. So we're going to try that again. Um, if you have the magnet that we gave you last year, uh, it's the same, same month, so we're not giving out new magnets. Just disregard the 2020 on it. You can put a one there if it'll make you feel better. Um, but it's the same, same thing. Um, this month is winter kind of clothing items, so scarves, hats, socks, gloves, um, mostly because that's probably what's on the sale right now. If, however, you happen to find something that you just think is wonderful and you can't live without crayons, hygiene products, whatever, 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 it's okay. You don't have to wait till that month to bring it in. Just go ahead, purchase it, bring it back. There is a little clothes hamper wrapped in wrapping paper in the back. Um, just plop it in there, um, and we'll take care of it. Um, each month we'll have a new new thing for you. We'll be up here. Tanya or I can answer any questions for you. And then later in the year we'll have a packing party like we did um, last year, and it'll be wonderful and awesome. We hope to pack 200 boxes this year. If we go over, that's okay, too. Um, but if you have any questions, um, you can ask us. I'll be back later for Annie Armstrong, if we don't tell you. Okay, we're going to begin our praise service this morning by standing and singing praise to the Lord, the Almighty.
Thank you. You can be seated. Lex Bowen, as uh, Tank uh, introduced you to, to me just a moment ago, uh, I am going to be leading us in a time of prayer at this time, and I'll be with you for several weeks, and trust that the Lord will use me as an instrument to, uh, of His use, His purpose for His glory during this time. Would you join me as we pray together? Father, there is a, a very uneasiness, no doubt, in the hearts of a church that just has lost a pastor. And so, Lord, I pray that their confidence would not be in the pastor who used to be here, but in you. For, Lord, it is in you that uh, we put our trust. It is in you that we put our confidence to lead us to the next pastor. I pray that, Lord, as we go through this time, that things would not be placed on hold. Things would not be stopped, but, Lord, that things would be uh, discovered that we can do in the interim time that can bring honor and glory to your name. So, Lord, I pray that you would move in our midst this morning, that you would uh, make yourself known to us, that you would challenge our hearts to be more than you've ever uh, desired us to be at this moment. So, Lord, use this time for your honor and for your glory. For it's in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you.
praise service this morning. Let's all stand as we sing Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone.
I certainly always consider it an honor to be able to fill in uh, for our, one of our churches. We have 75 churches in Sarepta. Sarepta is one of those names that's kind of unusual in that it, uh, I wasn't real sure what it was when I came here as director of missions. I thought maybe it was a tributary of a river somewhere because I knew that uh, we had some associations <laughs> named after rivers and uh, I wasn't sure if it was a lost Indian tribe that uh, we were unaware of, but uh, I was educated when I came, and I've discovered a lot of our churches don't even know what Sarepta means and where it came from. But it's been around since 1799, to give you some perspective, that's the year George Washington died. So that tells you a little length of time, and no, I was not the original director of missions. Uh, it is a, a real pleasure to be here with you, and I, I want this to be a real meaningful time for you, as well as myself. And, um, you know, I, I recall when any time I stand up in front of chur churches and, and preach, I'm always reminded of what my, one of my seminary professors, who was a preaching professor, he gave a very simple uh, definition of what preaching ought to be about. He said preaching ought to uh, uh, comfort the afflicted and to uh, afflict the comfortable. So uh, <laughs> one of those two categories may be what you uh, fall into. And uh, my, my sister-in-law uh, tried to give me a reminder uh, my, my wife and her sister are only 10 months apart. Matter of fact, I felt like when I was dating my wife, I was dating two of them rather than just one of them because they were roommates in, in college. But uh, when I got my very first church, my, uh, 
and uh, right out of seminary, my, my sister-in-law, who has always seen her, her, her role in life to keep me humble in whatever way she possibly can, that uh, she gave me a little plaque. She said, I want you to take this plaque, and I want you to put it right by the, your study door so that when you walk out, it's the last thing you see when you walk out. I thought, well, this has got to be good. This has got to be something that's uh, monumental. This is going to be something really spiritual and insightful to be a, a reminder to me every time I walk out. And it was a plaque that said, fill my mouth with worthy stuff and shut it when I've said enough. And so uh, I wish I could stand before you today and say I'd always abided by that prayer, but I, but I haven't. Uh, this is a, uh, an unusual time in the life of a church when you are without a pastor and so this morning I want us to focus on a passage of Scripture found in Acts 2, uh, the foundational focus of the church, foundational focus of the church. My dad, uh, was a, he had, what, his hobby was flying. Uh, we had a, an airplane, a single engine, a four-seater. They called it the Stinson Station Wagon. Man, it was, uh, it was so old, I didn't realize that at the time, it was made out of fabric, and that early in my childhood days, probably the early 60s, uh, he had it metalized. And so uh, I flew more as a child, and I just thought everybody did that kind of thing. And as I grew up, uh, during the 60s primarily, I was a kid and loved to do whatever his dad did. I loved to fly with my dad. And so uh, he would uh, gradually, you know, he let me touch the, the wheel ever so often. I couldn't, my feet wouldn't hit the rudder pedals enough, but... Uh, he would, uh, you know, just by being there all the time, you watched and observed things. And so as I got older and older, say uh, 11, 12 years old, of course, this is long before the days of GPS. You didn't know where you were exactly. So you had aeronautical maps, and my dad taught me how to read those things. And I, in essence, became his navigator. Uh, and my job was to know the route which we were flying, which he would mark in pencil typically uh, on a aeronautical map and it was my job to uh, keep my eyes on the map and to look down and look for landmarks so that I would know and he would know that we were on on track that made sense so one day we were going to fly to Claxton I live I grew up in South Georgia in a little town of Dawson but uh, we were flying to Claxton where my grandparents lived the weather was a little bit dicey when we got up and I, not stormy but uh, you know Low ceiling for the clouds and poor visibility, but that never stopped my dad from, from flying. And so we got out to the airport, and we got in the plane, and it was all fueled up, and, and we got ready to go, and we, we take off, and it started off, the ceiling was low to begin with, and visibility was poor to begin with, and the further we got, the lower the ceiling got, the poorer the visibility got, Till we finally got to the point that we really, and this is hard for a man to acknowledge, we didn't know where we were. <laughs> uh, precisely. We knew where we were, but we didn't know where we were precisely. And so uh, dad being the experienced pilot that he was and kind of feeling the confines of losing perception of where we were, he said, look for some railroad tracks. And I said, why? He said, railroad tracks lead to towns. Oh, okay. Towns is what we're looking for. And so sure enough, we looked and looked and finally found a, 
uh, some railroad tracks and dad just followed it and we followed it on into the town. The, <laughs> the next problem was we really didn't know what town it was. We had some suspicions, but we didn't know what town it was. And so my dad, not to be outdone by the situation, he says, I've got a plan. Well, I said, what's the plan? He said, we're going to fly by the water tower, and we're going to read the name of the town on the water tower. And that's what we did. And we found out where we were, and Dad says, I think I know how to get home from here now that I know where we are. He put a heading on the, uh, the compass, and we flew that direction and got home. My dad was a, uh, an experienced enough pilot to know it didn't matter. He had, he had flown to Claxton an innumerable number of times. I mean, he had flown there lots. But you know what? You can have made a, a trip like that many times, but Dad was an experienced enough pilot to know that even though you filed your flight plan and you got your course uh, headed in the right direction, there are a lot of things that can knock you off course. Uh, wind can do that at times. Weather can do that at times. I've seen my dad go around a thunderstorm, and when you go around a thunderstorm, all of a sudden you've got to recalculate where you are and which direction you're going. You see, not unlike churches, you can have a course setting, think you know in the direction where you're headed, only to discover over a period of time you've kind of lost your way. You've kind of lost your direction. You've kind of lost the way that you're, you intended to go originally. Once you had a clear direction and flight plan was filed, to only to discover, not unlike the airplane, that a church can get disoriented and unclear in where it's heading. During the interim time, this can be a great, great time for a church to sit back and say, okay, let's recalculate where we are. Let's recalculate our course heading. Let's recalculate how we're going to get where we're going to go. Where does God want uh, Forest Heights Baptist Church to be? Because he doesn't want you wandering aimlessly. He doesn't want you just responding to whatever storm you happen to encounter using the example of flying. He wants you to have confidence of knowing the direction he wants you to go. During the interim time, it provides an opportunity to do that. And oftentimes, during an interim time, a church can get very focused on what they do not have rather than what they have thought it would be good for us this morning to consider for a moment the first century church that was birthed in Acts chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles and can turn to Acts chapter 2, do so. We're going to begin about verse uh, 37. Uh, but before we do that, I, I want you to think about this church for just a moment. Think about this. Think about what the first century church did not have. They had no building, they had no budget, they had no staff, they had no denomination, they had no history or tradition, they had no homecoming celebrations, they had no Sunday school classes, they had no activities, they had no Bibles. <laughs> Whatever list we can come up with, folks, it is nothing like that list. We've been told and led to believe that these are the kinds of things that we have to have necessary to be effectively used by God. So what did the first century church have that made them so effective? And I want to submit to you the idea that one of the things that oftentimes is 
missing in our churches is the presence of the Holy Spirit, is the power of the Holy Spirit, is the direction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We get so locked in, we're, you know, there, there's a sophisticated flying mechanisms today on aircraft that you call it autopilot. And pilots oftentimes flip on autopilot and they go brain dead. Not really, but you know what I mean. They don't have to consider a lot of things. And churches, quite frankly, many times set their course and they get on autopilot and they don't expect anything else out of the ordinary to happen. Not so with the first century church. The Spirit's influence made them effective so much so that I would, if you did a study of the early church like I have, you would come to the conclusion they were pretty doggone effective. They were pretty good at doing what they did without any of the things that we think that are necessary to be effectively used by God. So these times of transition can provide a church with an opportunity to reset, refocus, reboot, call it what you will, renew their direction for the body of Christ to accomplish His purpose. What we do learn, we can learn from this church in Acts chapter 2, a good number of things that I want to bring to your attention this morning. Four things precisely. One, this church had a gospel message focus. A gospel message focus. Beginning with verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, let me do a, a, a brief uh, uh, contextualizing of where this is. Uh, Peter has just preached his powerful sermon at Pentecost. He just came to the conclusion of that sermon in verse 36. And then in verse 37, you see what happens as a result of that. So in verse 37, it says this, Now when they heard this, that this is Peter's sermon. So when they heard this, it says they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what are we to do? Isn't that interesting? You've got pagan, unchurched people. They hear the message of God, and they know something's happened inside of them, and they know they need to respond. So what do we do? Peter was not shy for giving them direction. He said to them, Repent, each one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children, for all who are far away, as many as the Lord God will call to himself. And with many other words, uh, uh, he, he uh, solemnly testified and kept urging them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received the word were baptized that day. There were added about 3,000 souls. Now, we've heard that read many a times and almost to the point where that doesn't make the impact it should have. Now, let me ask you this. <clears throat> that happened in one day as a result of one sermon and the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts and lives of people. Has there ever been a year in which any church that you are aware of has baptized 3,000 people? I'm not aware of any. And for it to happen in one day, wow, something really powerful happened. I want to suggest to you that it was a gospel, a gospel focus of their message. The gospel, you see, requires a turning according to the message of Peter. They said, what do we do? 
He gave him an answer. What was the first answer? Repent. That means to turn. It means to turn away from sin and turn to God. I've heard some people mistakenly say, yes, I've had a 360-degree turn in my life. Well, yeah, that's most Baptists, I think. They just turn around, they're still headed in the same direction. God just spends them for a moment or two. But repent. It's a critical part of our salvation experience. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. A repentance without regret. Acts 3.19, just one chapter later, it is said, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. See the linkage? Not only is there a change, but there's also, as a result of that change, a refreshing that takes place. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 8, therefore produce works, excuse me, to produce fruits that are consistent with repentance. When we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we hear the message of the gospel. The gospel requires a turning, a turning, an acknowledgement that we're sinners and that we're turning to God for salvation. The gospel also reflects the testimony. He said, repent and what? And be baptized. All right, baptism. We're Baptists, right? We believe in baptism, right? What is baptism? It means to immerse. It means to immerse. It is a literal picture of what happens to us spiritually. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. We're placed in the water. And then we're raised out of the water to walk in the newness of life. That's to be immersed. One writer said this, baptism literally means to identify with. You see, the picture of baptism is such that when we are baptized, we're taking place under the water, a, a, a picture spiritually of what's happened to us. We're buried in our sins, and we're raised to walk in the newness of life. We so identify with that water that when we uh, come up, we don't become water, but we're dripping. We're dripping with water. And so it is with when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, we don't become the the, the Holy Spirit, but boy, we're so identified with Him, we're dripping. <laughs> we're dripping. The gospel also results in transformation. He says you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul gives us some indication of the impact of walking in the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of flesh. Brings about a transformation in our lives. And then the gospel refocuses on the target. Notice what it said in the latter part of that passage I read. He solemnly testified and kept on urging them, be saved from this perverse generation. Boy, if there's an ever a message that needs to be spoken today, that's it. Can't people out there who need to be saved from the perverse generation that they're growing up in. So what does this mean for Forest Heights Baptist Church? 
within a two-mile radius of this church, projections are that in the next 10 years, there will be significant growth population-wise within a two-mile radius of this church. The population in 2020 was projected to be 26,707 within a two-mile radius of this church. And by 2030, it will be 32,313. That's a pretty good jump. In that two-mile radius, mainline Protestant denominations have shrunk in the last 10 years by 5% to represent 29.6% of a two-mile radius of people who are here. Of that number, 12.5% are Southern Baptist. So in a two-mile radius of your church, if you were to be able to poll the people, what you would discover is only about 12.5% of them are Southern Baptist. And that, and that doesn't mean they come to church. That means they identify with Southern Baptist. But what's more disturbing than all of that is that of all the religious surveying that was done, do you know what the largest group out there, what, the, what their, their, their name is? The nuns. Not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S. Do you realize they represent 32%? Almost one out of three of every person you're going to encounter is going to be of an unchurched nature, not just unchurched, they, they have no affiliation whatsoever. They're nuns, and they have grown by 5% in the last 10 years. You say, how do we reach them? Well, let me ask you this question. What kind of audience did Peter have at Pentecost? Primarily an unchurched group. There weren't a lot of Baptists there. <laughs> and he did what we should be doing. You see, you don't have to wait for a new pastor to begin to get the refocusing started on sharing the gospel. Ask the question about every ministry in your church. How does this help us advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? What do we need to do that we're not currently doing to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, that early church had a growing, had a, a focus, their, their gospel their focus was on the gospel message, and they got it out without apologies. Second thing I think we can learn from this group is this. They have a growing maturity focus, a growing maturity focus. Listen to this verse. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and to prayer. They had a focus on maturity. Growing in their spiritual foundation. The apostles' teaching. You do understand and realize what a privilege it is for us to have a personal copy of the Word of God. We have these things. We, we carry them around with us like, oh, it's no big deal. But do you realize 75% of the time that the church has been in existence, there has been no written copy for individual believers to have. The, the Gutenberg Bible was the first one printed. It was in German. Uh, it cost, literally, there were 100, 180 of those uh, printed initially, and every one of them was sold uh, by the time they came off the printing. They're huge. 
I was at the University of Texas several years ago, and they had on display a Gutenberg Bible. Folks, whatever, however big your Bible is, it ain't as big as that one. You know what it cost? On average, in that day and time, a year's salary to purchase one. They didn't have their Bibles. They had the apostles teaching. They had the apostles there. That was great, and that was wonderful. Our equivalent today is the Word of God. And we need to be growing spiritually in our intake of the Word of God. When do you reach enough intake on this to be done? Folks, I've been at it all. I've been at it as a Christian for 50 years. And guess what? I feel like I've just barely stepped my toe in the water of the depths of what the Scripture has for us. It is incredible what we can learn and grow with. Don't ever get to the point that you think, I've got all this. I understand it all. I've had a couple of Bible study courses. I've got this down pat. Shoot, what are you talking about? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As the stars are above the heavens, so it is above us. We have not got a thimble full yet. They also were growing in their spiritual fellowship. Now, this is not just getting together for fried chicken, folks. This is a word for partnership. Partnership. I've talked with different ones that have businesses before, and they've had partners. If anything happened to the other partner, listen, it was of primary concern for the other partner. And this is a picture that when one part of the body is hurting, it should concern all of us. When one part of the body is not here, it should concern all of us. They were devoting themselves to fellowship. Also to spiritual friendship, breaking of bread. There are some believers, who, or some theologians who believe that that could incorporate the Lord's Supper, and it may have been. But it was also incorporating just sitting down with somebody and sticking your feet under the same table that they're at. And I don't know, there is something intimate that happens when you have somebody sit at your table and you have fellowship and you, there's no agenda. There's just a building of friendship that bonds you together. I'm afraid that gift cards have replaced that today. We hand somebody a gift card and say, well, we don't want you to come over to our house. We want you, hey, go Go to Steak and Shake. Also, spiritual foundation of prayer. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. And prayer. I challenge you sometime. Read through all of the book of Acts if you haven't done it lately. And what I want you to do is I want you to take note of all the various times the body of Christ is together praying. And correlate that to what's happening around it it is phenomenal uh, we have lost the most valuable most powerful resource god gave us in prayer when we fail to activate it as the body of christ 
Yes, he wants us to pray for sick people. Yes, he wants us to pray for troubled people. But he also wants us to pray for those who are lost and dying and going to hell without Jesus Christ. Every human has what we call vital signs. Those are measurements to determine whether or not you're healthy. I've got my annual physical coming up in March, and I can't wait to get there because my doctor does a really good job. He puts up this little computer screen. They do blood tests, and he'll compare last year with this year, and he'll say, hey, you're doing really good with this, not so good with that. Uh, a few pounds off. I said, you're going to meddling now. <laughs> but you know what I mean. They're the body temperature, the pulse rate, the respiration rate, the blood pressure, vital signs. And a church has those. A church has those. I would even challenge you today to say, the Bible, partnership, fellowship of breaking bread together and prayer are some of the vital signs. Many people do not go to the doctor because they don't want to know what their current condition is. And so are churches sometimes. Those who have regular checkups are able to track various numbers and whether or not their blood pressure is good or bad, whether or not their blood work is good or bad, whether or not their respiratory system is functioning. As a church, we are described as the body of Christ. We have vital signs too. I like the phrase that this whole passage started on. They were continually devoting themselves. Here's the question I would pose to you. If you were to have a, a survey of those who live in and around your church and you were to ask them this simple question, what does Forest Heights Baptist Church continually devote themselves to? Would it resemble the list that they had in the New Testament? Third thing we discover here is generous ministry focus of these people. Remember, this was not a highly organized group but here's what the bible says in acts 2 44 and 45 and all the believers how many of them all of the believers were together and had all things how many things all things in common and they were to sell and, and they would sell their property and possessions and share them with oh there's that word again three times in one verse all to the extent that anyone had need. They were generous people. They, they didn't give with the idea of, well, what, what are we going to get back? Are, are they going to come to our church? That, that is not the issue. The issue is, is there a need? And do we have the capability of meeting that need? Let's do so in Jesus' name and let God bless it. I was a pastor for over 20 years. It used to absolutely astonish me with what some of our church folks would call our office up and say, hey, we got some stuff we want to give. And they'd bring it. And oh my goodness, it looked like he'd been stuck in an attic somewhere for five years and moisture had dripped on it and it smelled horrible. And they're giving that to God. Basically, what we're saying is, God, we don't have any need for this. It's about ruined. Let's, let's give us our worst instead of our best. They were generous. They were generous in their sharing. They had everything in common. They were generous in their selling. They sold their possessions and property, if that's what it, 
it took. They were generous in their scope. Anyone who had need. Well, they're not a member of our church. Who cares? They expect you to care for your own. They don't have a, an expectation when it comes to those who are outside. And let me tell you something. It can have a powerful effect on how they hear the gospel. One of the real dangers of a church that's lost its focus is they tend to have a, they go into a kind of a survival mode. And they begin to look very much internally. When you look at the average Christian in the United States of America today, the, one of the wealthiest countries in the world, by any world standards, you and I would be considered wealthy. The average giving is 2.5% to the church. 2.5%. Can you imagine what could be done by the church in the United States of America if we simply tithed? <laughs> You'd have to figure out what to do with the mission's money, wouldn't you? If folks just tithe. Well, the early church gave. They didn't give because they had everything already paid for. They didn't have anything. They were, they were doing ministry on the fly. And they were generous when they did that. Generous. The body of Christ is to help by sharing the, with the needs of other people. The body of Christ is, if needs to sacrifice, does so both for those inside and outside the body. And the last thing I would point your attention to today in this passage is a great multiplication focus. Great multiplication focus. Verses 46 and 47. And day by day. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Not week by week, not month by month. Day by day. With one mind in the temple. Breaking bread from house to house. They were taking meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Oh, how I'd love to describe churches in that way of gladness and sincerity of heart. But we don't hear that much. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. They multiplied their meeting as they went along. They said, man, it is not enough for us to just meet on, on the, the resurrection day. We need to meet Every day. We need to be in contact with our body every day. They did life together. They multiplied their eating. I'm all for that. They were asked, uh, taking meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They had a good time when they got together. Let me tell you something. They had a good time. They had a good time. They multiplied their singing. Praising God and having favor with all people. This was worship for them. What style of music do you think they had? You know what? I bet nobody in here would recognize one song they sang. Not one. It's not the Baptist hymnal, that's for sure. So what kind, what kind of translation of the Bible did they use? <laughs> well, we've already talked about the fact that they, they didn't have it. 
Who was the object of their worship? The same one it should be today. Music styles come and go, translations come and go, all kinds of things come and go, but there is one set object of worship that we should have the same as they had, and that is God Almighty and no one else. No one supersedes His place. They multiplied their singing. They multiplied their evangelizing. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Evangelism was not a program. Evangelism was not something the pastor did. Evangelism was a lifestyle for its members. And this COVID thing has really done a number on the church. It has really done a number. I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about all over. It's done a number. Uh, Tom Rayner has estimated that uh, 20% of the people who were attending regularly pre-COVID will never, ever return. 20% hit. He also noted the fact that churches that were in a slide or a decline, that whatever the slide was, if it had maintained and had no COVID there, that it would have taken them till 2024 to decline to the point where they are now. In other words, four or five years, it's fast-forwarded and declined. As you look at the things that they began to accentuate here in this last verse that I, I, I looked at, and needing and eating and singing and evangelizing, they've all been impacted by COVID. Every last one of them. You see, getting over this pandemic is going to require more than just reopening and restarting everything because the world that you stopped uh, ministering to uh, 11 months ago is not the same world that's out there today. It's different. It's going to take work. It's going to take intentionality. It's going to take ingenuity. It's going to require leadership. Because if you hope to restart what you started and hope that was going to be sufficient enough, uh, you're fooling yourself. One of my favorite movies is one called Apollo 13. I love Tom Hanks. He's just one of my favorite actors. Don't know much about him other than he's one of my favorite actors. But the guy that plays Gene Crane, if you don't know anything about the movie, they're going to the moon. It's not the first mission to the moon. It's a subsequent mission to the moon. They're, they get uh, part of the way there. They have an explosion on board. They begin to lose their oxygen supply, their electrical supply. Uh, they had a CO2 buildup in the, uh, the cabin itself. They had to basically uh, retreat to the limb, the landing module, and survive there. And when the, the famous phrase, Houston, we've got a problem, occurred, it was in that movie and it was portrayed and they didn't know what, I mean, instrumentation on the ground was going bonkers, it was going bonkers up there. And Gene Krantz, I think it was him, who in the movie says at some point, okay, settle down, settle down, settle down, let's just find out what's working. Let's find out what's working. And then we'll go from there. 
And the response by one of the guys at the desk says, we'll have to get back to you on that one. I think in a very real sense, that's somewhere how all of our churches are going to be when we start coming out of this COVID thing. Let's see what systems are working. And I would challenge you today to consider the model that is set forth in the early church. Seeing that keeping the message of the gospel of focus, continue to disciple people through maturity, let your ministry be generous, let your multiplication be the goal. So that as we come out of this crisis, as we come out and we're, we're never going to get back to normal, uh, flash news, we're never going to be back like it was. So your hopes of it being that way, you can kind of put that. But you know what? This pandemic may have caught you by surprise. It certainly caught me by surprise. Guess who it did not catch by surprise? God. And I think what it's done for a lot of churches it's helped them to step back and say, what's necessary? For many of our churches, we've been much too facility-centered in what we've been doing. Y'all come to us. Y'all come to us. But we've been forced to say, not just us. I mean, every restaurant around virtually delivers now. What do they do? They, they take their message to them. We're not dealing with fast food here, folks. We're dealing with something much more substantial. We've got to do whatever we can. Curbside delivery, take it to their home. Whatever needs to be done, the message needs to be delivered. Let's pray together. Father, we are desperately in needing of instruction and guidance and leadership during this most challenging time in the life of our church. Not just this church, but churches all around the world. And I pray, Father, that you would not give us the spirit of fear, for the Scripture tells us you don't give us that anyway, but of love and joy and a sound mind. Let our confidence be in you, not in the church. Let our confidence be in you, not in a new pastor. Let our confidence be in you, Lord, and you alone. Let you be the object of our worship because no COVID can shut you down. No COVID can cause you to quit being who you are. If anything, Father, it will impact a world around us to see how many people, multiplied millions of people, have put their trust in monetary things, have put their trust in their own physical fitness, who put their trust in their family's ability to take care of themselves, to only see it all wiped away in less than a year's time. And the arrogance of having a nation that thinks somehow or another we can marginalize God and put him on the periphery where we can just keep him in his place. Lord, the world is beginning to realize this is beyond anything the government can provide a stimulus package for. This is beyond anything that we can concoct. Lord, we need you. We need you. 
Lord, in these next moments, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of those who are here. Let your word do its powerful, powerful work. And Lord, that in the minds and hearts of the people, it would be just like the group that heard Peter, that they heard the word. And the response in their heart would be, Lord, what do we do? What do we do? Well, Lord, it seems that every time you stir our hearts, we need to ask that question. What would you have us to do? Lord, I pray you accomplish your purpose for your glory in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand, please? We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And if God has spoken to your heart and you want to come and pray with me, I'll be glad to do so. Glad to do so. If you want to make this an altar of prayer here at the front of your, your sanctuary, you may do that also. Whatever God is leading you to do, you come now as we sing. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall naked sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. The way of the cross leads Before we sing our closing chorus, there are several announcements that I need to make. First of all, family night supper on Wednesday. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. Miss Donis, I'll let you tell them what, what all is in the way of food. those viewing they can call the office by tomorrow okay second there's a deacons meeting this afternoon at 4 30 and a week from wednesday night which i believe is the 17th is our regular church conference is there any other announcement that i have failed to mention okay we're going to sing our closing chorus yes lord yes I'll say yes, Lord, yes, 
Yeah. 